good to see everybody here this morning. And I see that we do have a significant number of visitors with us. And we appreciate you being here. Austin and Leah have a whole row up here. We're glad to see y'all. And I see Cassie back there. It's always good to see Cassie. And there's others that uh, I may have missed as well. But we are certainly glad that you're here. do want to mention that Nelda Banks was... Uh, had to leave services right before services started. Her heart was kind of fluttering a little bit. So we want to keep Nelda uh, in our prayers. Last week, we looked at a verse out of Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26. And it says, this is God talking through the prophet about the people of the day. And he said, her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. And they teach there is, a di- there is no difference between the clean and the unclean. And so we looked last week at some of the things that God has made holy. Some of the things that are holy. That we might have a tendency to profane is the word used here. Or that we might tend to make common. Uh, I was in one of the teen classes. I don't remember which one it was, but we were talking about the word vulgar and where that word came from. You know, it, it means something quite different today than it meant in the original use of that word. The word vulgar simply meant common back in the day. Now we've taken it to mean even below kind of common, but, uh, there's a translation of the Bible into Latin called the Latin Vulgate, comes from the, meaning the common Latin language of the time. But there are those things that God has set apart as holy, that if we're not careful, we can turn them back into common. And we talked about those things. And one of the things we talked about was God's name. God said, my name is holy, don't misuse it. And when we use God's name and misuse it, or use it without thinking, or use it with no meaning behind it, then we have made God's name vulgar, essentially. We have taken it in vain. The time that we worship together, that God has set aside, that his family should meet together and worship on the first day of the week, we might turn into something common when we see no difference between this and anything else we do throughout the week. God's word is holy. And we can make it common by just treating it like perhaps just any other self-help book we might find in, uh, you know, on the library. Nobody uses a library on the Internet or whatever, you know. Uh, I use a library. I like paper and ink bookshelf, you know. But, uh, but God's word is different than all the other writings that we have. And we talked about the church, that God has called the church as his bride and to be holy and that we can't treat the church as something that doesn't matter when Jesus himself gave the gave his life for the church. And then we talked about marriage, how that God has set that aside as something special and holy and sacred. And in our society, we pretty much just turned it in to something common that has no speciality to it or holiness or sacredness to it. But there is also a sense in which God can take the common and make it holy. You see, what we talked last week was about us taking the holy and making it common. But God can take the common 
and make it holy. Go ahead, boy. And you can do this by a few different ways. He can do it by design. He can do it by decree. He can do it by purpose. And he can do it by his presence. You see, God, by design, created life to be holy. Human life. You know, you go back to the uh, beginning and you go back to creation. And, you know, not to take away from the awesomeness of God in creation. I mean, it's pretty. I mean, God said, let there be light and there was light. I mean, how do you how do you improve upon that? And God said, you know, let the, let the, I like the way in the King James, you know, let the sea team with the animals and, you know, and all of that. And so then there were animals, but that's the way kind of the creation account is. God said, let there be this. And there was that, let there be this. And there was that, and let there be this. And there was that. And then it comes to man and it doesn't say just God created man. It says God formed man. From the dust of the ground. And breathed into him. The breath of life. So just by design. Just by creation. God has made human life holy. He also can do it by decree. You know. There's seven days in a week. Right. I know that because it's. There's a little song that says that. There are seven days there. Okay, well, anyway, there's seven days in a week. I don't know the rest of it. <laughs> well, you'd think I would. I know somewhere it goes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but anyway. There's seven days in a week, in and of themselves. Is any day more special or holy than another? Nope. Not until God decreed, thou shalt keep the Sabbath. And make it holy. You see. The Sabbath day before God decreed it. Was just another day. But once God decreed. And declared the Sabbath day. Will be holy. Throughout the rest of the old covenant. The Sabbath day. Was holy. Because God decreed. That it was. Also remember we talked about those things. You remember, I know, yeah, you do, I know. But you remember Jericho, you know, the children of Israel, they're going in and the walls come tumbling down and all that stuff. And God says, the stuff from Jericho, the bounty from Jericho, the spoils from Jericho, those things are mine. They're holy They are my devoted things. Now, when we go to AI and we go to these other places, y'all can split it up. But the things from Jericho are mine. Why? Because it was something special about the things of Jericho? No. Did Jericho have better stuff than all the other places in Canaan? No. They were holy. Those things were dedicated. Those things were sacred because God said they were. Those things are mine by decree. God also makes things holy by purpose. I think about, you remember the, uh, the Passover, the original Passover back in Egypt. And God said, you know, kill the animal and cook it and do all that kind of stuff. And then take the blood and put it on 
the doorposts. Anything special about lamb's blood or goat's blood? You know, not that I know of. No saving power within, you know, the blood of goats. But the purpose that God attached to it made it holy. The purpose God attached to it made it sacred. The same thing he does today. And also God's presence makes something holy. You remember when God calls Moses. Moses up there tending sheep on the mountain. And all of a sudden he sees that bush that's burning but is not burning up. And he comes over to it and and God says to Moses, take off your shoes because where you are standing is holy ground. Had it always been holy ground? No. Up until that moment, it was just a piece of a mountain like any old piece of a mountain. But it was holy then because God was present different than he was present in the rest of the world the tabernacle and the temple represented something that was holy because it represented the very presence of God I love those songs that we sing when we sing and we sing you know this is holy ground I'm standing on holy ground Is there anything holy about this ground in and of itself? It's just a piece of dirt. But it is holy because God is present. And when we come together, God is present with us everywhere. I understand that. But I think there is a specialness about when God's people come together. And his presence is there. What did Jesus say? Were two or more gathered in my name, I will be there. Does that mean he's not around anytime else? No, doesn't mean that. When on the day of atonement, the priest entered the most holy place and God dwelled there among on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. That mean God was never with Israel any other time? No, he was. But there was something special and unique about his presence there. And there's something special and unique about God's presence here that makes this time holy. But this morning, I just wanted to look at three things. Common things that because of what God has done to them, make them holy. And one is the Lord's Supper. We just completed it. Jamie read, I believe it was, out of Matthew, and I'd like to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. You see, there was nothing special about that bread. As it sat on the table, as he and his apostles ate together. There was nothing special 
about the fruit of the vine that they were drinking with their meal. It was part of the common Sabbath day meal. It was just on the table. Until Jesus placed importance on it. Until Jesus placed purpose to it. Until Jesus declared that this is different. And you're going to partake of this on the first day of the week. And we say that, and we see that that was a very special time for the Christians together. Paul waited at Troas until the first day of the week so that he could break bread with the brothers there. Because he knew that they would be participating in the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. And it, what had started out as a common meal with the common things of a meal. All of a sudden, because of the importance that Jesus placed on them, that common meal became something holy and set aside. Over in 1 Corinthians, man, you talk about some messed up folks. But over in 1 Corinthians, Paul warns them that they were in danger of taking that which God had made holy And turning it back into something common. You see, the early church, when they got together, they would would often eat meals together. We talked before, you know, that, you know, we're so used to, to, you know, the preacher better be done by a certain time so we can get out of here and go eat or whatever, you know. Church, for the early Christians, a lot of them, it was an all-day event, you know. And they came together and they worshipped and they partook in the Lord's Supper and they ate and then they might worship again and, you know, and all these different things. And what had happened was is they had begun to mesh together the common meal that they shared with each other. And the Lord's Supper. So that there wasn't even a distinction. You couldn't tell when you were eating just a regular meal and when you were participating in the Lord's Supper. And Paul says it shouldn't be that way. He says, you people in your meal that ought to be a good thing. Now, we like to eat around here, don't we? Amen. I thank you. I think maybe the first time in 32 years I've asked for an amen. We like to eat around here. We like our fellowships. We like, you know, any problem with that? No. But if it turns into something selfish, you see, you see, they didn't have potlucks like we have potlucks in Corinth. It was bring your own. And so if I want to cook me a big juicy steak, oh, I've lost all of you now. We're done, right? It's time to quit. If I bring my big juicy steak and my baked potato, and that's about it because you know I'm not going to have anything green with it. Two steaks and a baked potato. And you bring, you know, your whatever. And we got some member over here who can't even slap two pieces of bread and a piece of ham together. They got nothing. They're over there starving. And I'm going to town on my steak and my potatoes. Said, so, no, no, no. If that's the way you're going to treat each other, just eat at home. Just, just forget that. If you're going to mesh together the common meal and the Lord's Supper, just quit the common meal. Make sure that you keep holy what God has set aside 
as holy. Nothing special about the elements themselves, the emblems themselves. It's the meaning attached to it. And we can also make it common, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, by treating it as nothing. By coming in here and participating in the Lord's Supper and then going out and living our lives any way we want to. We have profaned the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Second thing that God has made holy that was common is baptism. Is there anything sacred or holy in and of itself about being dipped or immersed into water? Nope. Take a bath. Anything holy special about that? Nope. Jump in a pool. Jump in the lake. Ocean. Whatever. Any special power or anything? No. It all has to do with what God has attached to it. The meaning. Could God have chosen another method or another event to initiate our salvation? Absolutely. We were talking about this in the junior high class last week. And I said, could God have said, could Peter have said on the day of Pentecost... Repent and stand on your head in the corner for three minutes and thou shalt be saved. Could God have said that? He can pretty much do what he wants to, right? God could have said that. God could have said, run around the church building five times, look over your left shoulder and spit three times and turn the opposite way. And Could he have done that? He's God. He could have done that. So why did God choose baptism? Well, I can't get in totally to the mind of God. But I've got some theories. One of the theories is, I believe it has to do with that symbolism of washing. You remember when Ananias came to Saul. After he'd been blind for three days and he'd been fasting and praying. So Ananias says to him, What are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Wow. Doesn't that just seem logical? Doesn't that seem appropriate? That baptism would represent the washing washing away of our sins? Another theory, although it's not really a theory because it pretty well comes right out and says it. Is that in baptism we reenact and connect with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, 3 and 4, Paul said, Don't you know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death, and we, we were buried with him in baptism, and we are raised to walk in a newness of life. Through baptism, we connect with, we reenact, we we perform a symbolic gesture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, that makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, I guess God could have said, stand on your head in the corner for three minutes. And I guess we would have we would have figured out some kind of thing that that represented. Right. You know, uh, that represents the blood flowing down from your feet to your head. Uh, Well, I could have made it work. 
But this you don't have to force at all. Our sins are washed away. We reenact the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Peter makes it clear in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, that it's not, just the, it's not the water itself. It's not the washing. But it's the answer of a clear conscience. It's a faith response that brings the significance to it. Galatians 3, verse 27 says that when we're baptized, we are clothed with Christ. We put on Christ. Acts 2.38 says that at baptism we receive our forgiveness of sins. And as Romans 3 and verse 4 said, 6, 3 and 4, through baptism we are united with the benefits of his death, burial, and resurrection. All of these show that there's something sacred, holy about that act. Not the act itself, but because God said so. God placed the importance on it. God made it holy by giving it a purpose. You remember Naaman in the Old Testament. He had leprosy. He was from Syria. And uh, his little servant girl told him that there was a prophet down in Israel who could heal things. And I think, sir, she said, he can heal you of your leprosy if you go. And so Naaman goes down and he's got his chariot full of gold and silver and fine clothes and all this stuff, you know, so that he can pay to be healed, essentially. And you remember Naaman goes to the door and he knocks on the door. And what happens? The prophet didn't even bother to come to the door. Sent his servant. And his servant said to Naaman, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And you'll be healed. And the servant slams the door. Now, Naaman was not just a dude. Naaman was an important dude. He was like our secretary of defense or chairman of the joint chiefs of staff or whatever. He was about as high up in the military as you could get. He was not used to being treated that way. And... He gets in his chariot and he is huffing and puffing mad and he's on his way back home to Syria. Where his servant got the courage, I do not know. But the servant said to him, Master, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, you'd have done it. Why not go dip in the river seven times? Now, Naaman agreed. And he went and he dipped in the Jordan River seven times. And when he came up the seventh time, he was totally cleansed of leprosy. Was there any special power in the Jordan River? Don't you imagine, can we assume perhaps... That at times there had been other people with leprosy who had washed in the Jordan River. Now, maybe they hadn't dipped seven times, but they'd gone to the Jordan River. They hadn't been healed of their leprosy. I wonder if after this happened, if there were other lepers who heard about it. You know what I mean? If I got leprosy 
and I hear that this guy went and he dipped in the Jordan River seven times and he was healed, what am I going to do? I'm going to the Jordan River and I'm dipping seven times. Absolutely no record of that. No record that anybody else was ever healed by dipping in the Jordan River of leprosy. But because God, through the prophet, made it important for Naaman, it had power and purpose. The third thing that God takes from being common to holy is people. Specifically, you and me. God in the past set people apart for his work. Abraham, off in the earth of the Chaldeans. We don't know much about Abraham before God calls him, but there doesn't seem to be anything overly special about Abraham. But God calls him and then sets his people aside as holy. Moses. Moses certainly had some things kind of going for him that helped, but then he had other things that went against him as well. He was just a shepherd off tending the sheep when God said, you are going to Egypt and you're going to get Pharaoh to let my people go. Gideon, I love that, the call of Gideon. Gideon is trembling. Gideon is hiding. Gideon is trying to get his, you know, uh, uh, stuff done away so the Midianites won't hear him and know about him, you know. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord comes and says, God is speaking to you, oh mighty warrior. What? Gideon says, I think you, you got the wrong person. God says, no, you. The 12 apostles. in and of themselves, were any of them really prepared for the task at hand? We talked about this, or most of them were fishermen, or a good part of them were fishermen, tax collector, you know, all kinds of different, none of them were really prepared. You remember even that when they stood before the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Jewish leaders were shocked. Why? Because they were common, ordinary, unschooled, uneducated, hick rednecks. But they'd been with Jesus. Were they common and ordinary? Absolutely. Until Jesus called them. Until he gave them purpose and he gave them a mission. And the same is true of us today. First Corinthians chapter six and verse 11 tells us that we are the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. His very presence within us makes us holy. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 20 says that we are God's ambassadors. Whoa. God has called us to be his ambassadors. God has called us to have this treasure, the gospel, in earthen vessels. How special do you feel this morning? How holy do you feel this morning? God has chosen you. God has called 
you. Just like he called Abraham, just like he called Moses, just like he called Gideon, just like he called the 12 apostles. He has called you to be his ambassadors, his servants in this world. Now, do we have different talents? Can we do that in different ways amongst ourselves? Sure. But he's called all of us to be special. Called all of us to be holy. Took us from our common position and elevated us. Remember that verse we talked about where it says that we were made joint heirs with Christ. That that just blows my mind. Not sub-heir. Not 19th, the line of succession heir, joint heirs with Christ. God has taken the common and he's made it holy. We need not to forget that in our lives and remember the purpose, mission that God has declared for us. If you're here this morning, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Her meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.